Last Lord's Day, we consider one of the biggest topic in the scripture, that means the sovereignty of God. If you understand this doctrine or attributes of God, I am assuring you on the authority of God's word that anything comes in your life, you will not get panic, you will not get scared, you will not be fearful. What is next? What is coming up? But instead of that, you will be rest assured because the one whom you belong to is God. And God is the one who controls your whole life because he knows your beginning and he knows your end. Why to worry? Why to worry if he knows the beginning? If God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing God, would I be scared for tomorrow? Would I be scared for my eternal destiny? Only one thing, that when your faith rests on God and his word, then you are safe. Then you are safe. So that's what we consider last Lord's Day, the sovereignty of God. So when we say the sovereignty of God, I would like to just uh, touch the base before we get into what do we learn, what, what is the application for me? If God is a sovereign God, if his God is all-knowing, all-seeing, all-caring, if God is all plus, 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 what that has to do with me personally in this life? That's what we are going to consider now our subject. But... Let's look into, before we get into further, uh, when we say that God is a sovereign God, that means, it means the supremacy of God. God is a supreme, his kingship. To say God is sovereign is to declare God is God. God is God and we are we. We are we. You know, Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10 says, The Lord declared the end from the beginning. And, uh, and the word of God says, My counsel stands forever. My counsel stands forever. And I will do all my pleasure. God does everything for his pleasure and for our good. Remember, we are living in a finite fallen world. So many times our thinking about God is tainted with the fallen nature of the universe. And that's why how often we judge God. We make God in the box and say, God, you have to do this. We make God our servants rather than we become the servants of God to take the order from God. Rather, we give order to God what he should do for us. God is God. Let him be God. Let him be God. You know, Daniel chapter 4 and verse 35 is so beautiful verse. I like uh, 34 and 35. Now remember, this is a heathen king, Nebuchadnezzar, 
after the Lord has brought him down on his knees, he began to eat the grass and all these things. After seven years, he came to the census. And then he says this. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. 34, 35. Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 and 35. Daniel, after Ezekiel, Daniel chapter 4, verse 34, 35. Listen to this, it's so beautiful, I love it. And at the end of the days, Nebuchadnezzar lifted up his eyes unto heaven. Mine understanding returned unto me, and I bless the Most High, and I praise and honor him that liveth forever. God liveth forever. He's not dead God, and that's why we come to worship. We don't come to worship dead God. Nebuchadnezzar said, he liveth forever. God liveth forever. Read verse 35. And then he says, sorry, 34. He liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. And verse 35. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand to say unto, unto God, what thou doest or what are you doing? What are you doing? We don't say that. It is God who does everything. So that is we consider about the sovereignty of God. And in Psalm number 115 and verse 3 says, But God is in heaven. He had done whatsoever hath pleased him. Remember, my beloved, that God always does what pleases him the most. And then we can add and glorify him. Glorify him. That is our call. So to say God is a sovereign... That is to declare that he possesses all power in heaven and on earth. So none can defeat God's counsel or thwart his purpose or resist his will. To declare that he possesses all power in heaven and on earth. Abraham understood that in Genesis chapter 14. When Abraham fought the battle and he, he got victory and, and he brought his nephew, you remember that story, and Melchizedek came and he greeted Abraham. And, and, and then the king of Sodom came over and he said, listen, I want you to give me your manpower and I will give you all the, all the goodies, we, we, we got it. What did Abraham say? Jehovah El Elyon. That is the word. Jehovah El Elyon means God who possesses all power in heaven and on earth. Why would I lower my standard and ask to get from you? That's, you would boast about that I made Abraham rich. He said, my God is rich God. That is our God. Abraham had that knowledge in Genesis chapter 14. When we say God is a sovereign, we affirm his right. To govern the universe. When we say God, when we say God is a sovereign, we affirm his right as the right of the potter over the clay. Oh, beloved. 
How often we sing, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Do we really mean it? He is the potter. We are the clay. He has a right to break it or he has a right to make it. Do I have to say, why do I do, why do you do that? No, he has a right. He is the potter. So he is, a, he is a potter. He has a right to govern. We affirm his right as he is a potter. He is under no law. God is under no law. He is outside of his will. God is the law himself. And he is under no obligation. He, if he chooses to answer the prayers, let it be so. I don't demand I don't demand. Listen to this very carefully. Don't make God your servant. Don't make God as your servant and demand from him that you ought to do me. If he chooses to do, praise God. When he doesn't do, wait. Because his timing is always perfect. We sing that song, in his time he makes everything beautiful. In his time he makes everything beautiful. He is a sovereign in exercise of the, his power. He does, listen to this, he does what he pleases, how he pleases, when he pleases, and whom he pleases. Do I have to say, do I, do I have to guide God what he should do? Do the clay has a power over potter that he has to do what he wants him to do? Let him do what he... Whether, that's why Paul says, whether through my life or through my death, Jesus Christ be praised. That when you understand the sovereignty of God, beloved, you will come like Paul. You will come like Job in chapter 13, verse 15. Even though he slay, I will trust him. That is where the Lord would have us to go. Understanding of God. When you understand God, you will say with Job, even though he slay, I will trust him. Even though he brings cancer in my life, I will trust him. Even though he takes my only everything, I trust him. Because I know whom I have believed. Okay. That was a background. Now, our attitude toward the sovereignty of God. How do we react if God has all power, if God does everything according to the counsel of his desire, if God does what he pleases, how he pleases, when he pleases, whom he pleases, what is my attitude towards God? That is a practical application. And I want you to understand this is going to be a big study, I tell you, my friends. Every truth that is revealed to us in God's word is there not only for information, but also for the inspiration. Oh, beloved, write these two words, information and inspiration. Infor in, uh, inf uh, information and in inspiration. True, 
true recognition of God's sovereignty should lead us on our knees. Understand, friends, if God is a sovereign, what is my response to God's sovereignty? No matter what comes in my life, I will be on my knees in complete surrendering to him, Lord, I don't understand, I don't have to understand, but I am yours and you are mine. Lead me on. True recognition of God's sovereignty should lead us on our knees in total submission before the holy God. The, true recog- the truly recognized the sovereignty of God is therefore a gaze Upon the sovereign himself. Oh, beloved. Gaze on the sovereign God. Gaze on the sovereign. Gaze the beauty of God. Gaze on the beauty of God. It means to come into his presence on the majesty on high. Mark the experience of Job. The one of whom the Lord himself said, What did he say in chapter 1, verse 8? Oh, friends, Job, we are going to study Job, I told you, two weeks ago. God willing, next spring, we are going to study the book of Job. So I want you to read every day. So by the time we come in next spring, you have already read six to seven times the whole book of Job. And then I want you to write down the questions you have when you read. And then we will consider the questions and also the book. It is going to be a phenomenal study of the book of Job. So I want you to hang and read that. So Job chapter 1 verse 8, the Lord is talking to Satan. Uh, we will st- I'm not going to really reveal now why everything is happening. We'll hang in there in March. Have you considered my servant Job? The Lord said to Satan, there is none like him on the earth. And then the Lord says he's a blameless, he's upright man who fears God and who shuns evil. Those who fear God hate evil. So Job is that category man. That's what the Lord, the Lord testify about Job? Unthinkable. What a powerful testimony. You know, if God gives the testimony about yourself, how would he testify you? How would he testify about you personally? Here is my son. Here is my daughter. Think about that. God testified about Job. At the close of the book, Job was in the divine presence of God face to face. You know, everything was taken away from Job. Everything. Job did not understand anything. And God was not obligated to reveal to him anything or everything. And Job was right there. And Mrs. Job, what a wife she was. She gave counsel to her own husband. What did he say? What did she say? Curse God and die, you are worth living nothing. Her love for her husband based on all what he had. When everything was taken, she began to hate her husband. He said, 
curse God and die. Who would advise like that? Mr. Job did that. But God knew what he was doing out of that. And you know, in verse chapter 42, verse 5 and 6, this is what Job said. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee, therefore I abhor. You know what is the word abhor means? I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. That's where the Lord brought Job. That's where the Lord brought Job. So, if God is God, and if God does what he pleases, what is my response? I truly go on my knees and surrender to him just like Job. And in verse 5 and 6 of chapter 42 says, I have heard of thee by my hearing of the ear. My eyes have seen, therefore I despise in the light of everything what has taken away from me, now I see your hand in everything. What about Isaiah? What about Isaiah? In chapter 6, the prophet, Behold the Lord upon the throne, high and lifted up above the throne stood the seraphim, and they were crying, Holy, Holy, Holy. And uh, is the Lord of hosts. What is the effect of this sight upon the prophet? What did Isaiah say? Oh, beloved, Isaiah chapter uh, 6 verse 5 says, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. But friends, that is complete submission to the Lord. When, when uh, Isaiah saw the glory that brought him on his knees and said, Woe to me. Woe to me. That is the understanding of God. You know how many people say, God spoke to me. Oh, friends, if God speaks to you, you will be in the ashes. It's so easy now. People say, God spoke to me. Hello? This thing came, when we came to Bakerville in 2007, the pastor who was there, you, I, you know, George Smith was there, pastor. So, my daughter was preparing the bulletin. So, on first Sunday, uh, he, was to, he was to preach. So, uh, I asked Pastor George Smith, I said, Pastor, what are you going to preach this coming Sunday? My daughter is preparing the bulletin. We need to put the scripture and everything. What did he say to me? The Lord has not spoken to me, brother. I said, what? I said, the Lord has not spoken to me. I said, when is he going to speak to you? That is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God of the Bible. The Lord speaks to us through his word. That is wrong. Absolutely wrong. Take time to be holy. So you can listen to him. To listen to him. You know, one of my favorite characters is John the Baptist and Elijah. 
So when I go to see, when I go to heaven, I want to see two people. First, I, of course, Jesus is there. But the second person I like to hug is Elijah. He's my favorite. And then John the Baptist. Fierce, fear, fearless pastor or prophet. You know, his understanding is phenomenal. Turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 26 to 30. John chapter 6, verse 26 to 30. And I will make a point. If anybody has found, read loudly. John chapter 3, verse 26 to 30. Thank you, Mike. That's beautiful. You know, friends, John the Baptist was preaching. Get the picture. Everybody coming from all corners of area, people were coming to be baptized. And he introduced Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. So what happened? People who were awaiting for Messiah to come, now John the Baptist is introducing him. So what happened? Everybody is going towards Jesus. So somebody came and whispered to John the Baptist. He said, aren't you jealous? The one whom, who were with you and now they're going away from you. And John the Baptist, what did he say? He said, I am the best man. And I introduce the, the groom. My joy is completed. My joy is completed. He must increase, not me. And I must decrease. That is understanding of God. No jealousy. No jealousy. And then the, what he says here, I love it. Verse 27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Oh, thank God for John. No jealousy. No jealousy. If the Lord gives me, praise God. If the Lord doesn't give me, praise God. That is the understanding. That is the understanding. When you understand the sovereignty of God, unless the Lord gives, nothing happens. And the Lord takes, praise God. That's where the John the Baptist came to. So our attitude toward God's sovereignty leads us, number one, godly fear. Godly fear. If God is a sovereign God, if God does what he pleases, how he pleases, when he pleases, whom he pleases, what is my attitude? I have to be fearful of him. I have to fearful of him. You know, friends, why is it 
that the masses are utterly unconcerned about the spiritual and eternal things that are available today. But the people are lovers of themselves than lovers of God. Why is it that the multitudes are indifferent to their soul's welfare? The answer is because there is no fear of God. Beloved, that is really missing in the churches today. The fear of God. You know, Habakkuk says, God is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent. Silent. Why is it that the authority of the scripture has been lowered so sadly? Why is it that even among those who profess Christianity or Christian or born again, you know, there is little submission to the word of God? Why? We need to stress that God need to be feared. You know how often we raise our children and the first thing is that God loves you. It's okay. That's the one side of the coin. But the other side of the coin is God is fearful. God is fearful. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, what is the fear of God? What, 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 how do you understand? If somebody comes or your grandson or granddaughter comes and says, Grandpa, what is the fear of God? How do you explain? How do you explain? You want to write down? Write down this, what I'm going to say. The fear of the Lord is... The fear of the Lord is the state of mind in which the believer's own attitude, his own will, his own feelings, his own deeds, his own goals are exchanged for God. Do you understand? That is the fear of God, beloved. Let me say it again. The fear of the Lord is the state of mind in which the believer's own attitudes, his own will, his own feelings, his own deeds, his own goals are exchanged for God. That means Psalm 42 verse 1, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. Nothing else. I desire nothing. I desire nothing because my goal, my attitude, my will, my deeds, my goals are crucified. That's why I long for you, O oh God. I long for you. Psalm 42, verse 1. <clears throat> Beloved, happy is the soul 
That's, that has been awed, A-W-E-D, awed by the view of the most God's majesty that he had a vision of God's awful greatness. His holiness, his perfect righteousness, his glorious power, and his sovereign grace. It was the apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Turn with me, please. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. First Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Thank you, Pastor. Fear God. Fear God. Reverence. Reverence. When did you ever experience the holy reverence when you had devotion or in your private closet with God? Holy reverence. So if God is a sovereign God, then my attitude towards God, I should fear him. I would not do anything which would grieve the spirit of God. That is first reaction. Second, second, obedience. When I know that God is a sovereign God, he is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, who knows the beginning, who knows the end, he does everything, what he pleases, how he pleases, when he pleases, whom he pleases, my attitude towards God then, obedience to him. Obedience to him. The vision of God is majesty. Leads us to realization of our Littleness and nothingness. Nothingness that lead us in the sense of dependency upon our God. Now listen, listen to this. A higher view of the divine majesty promotes the spirit of godly fear which leads us to obedient walk. Let me say it again. The higher view of the divine majesty promotes the spirit of godly fear that leads us to obedient walk. Who comes to my mind? Apostle Paul. Oh, friends, Apostle Paul. Would you like to read Philippians chapter 3 verse 8? Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. The higher view of the divine majesty promotes the spirit of godly fear and obedience. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. 
Now, mind you, before you read, let me tell you background. Paul was boasting about his plus side as a Jew, as a Pharisee. He was boasting that I'm a Pharisee, I'm a Hebrew, I'm uh, circumcised on eight day, and all nine yards he was talking about. Then when he comes to chapter 3, verse 8, now someone can read what he says. Oh, thank you. Do understand. Do understand what it means to have a higher view of God. When you have a higher view of God, you see yourself nothing. You become zero. He becomes everything. Beloved, there are two spirits working in the world. Two spirits working in the world. One is the spirit of the Lucifer, which takes you up. And when the spirit of Christ takes you down, there you see here in Paul's life, the high, so far Paul was boasting about everything. But then he said, by surpasses knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ, I count everything garbage. Surpasses knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ, I consider nothing. On Father's Day, remember I spoke about Barnabas. In Barnabas' story, we read that church was growing in Antioch. So Jerusalem church sent Barnabas to Antioch because Barnabas was in that area. So Barnabas knew everybody, probably. So Barnabas came there and he saw the grace of God the grace of God is invisible, but he saw through their fruits, through their lifestyle. What did he do? He said that I need assistance. I need help. Should I go to Jerusalem and Peter, James, John? Oh, no. Then he thought about Paul. Remember Saul of Tarsus. So he went to Tarsus. Now, in the scripture, in, in Acts chapter 11... It is said, I, I told that that day, that day, remember, that in those days they did not have a GPS. So Barnabas has to search his house. Now mind you, he had a house, he had everything, but everything was taken away because he followed Christ. So Paul's address, what was handed over to him, he was no more there. So he intense, intently searched for Barnabas, for Paul. Now, add this verse in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. By surpasses knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, everything I had, I lost it and I counted all garbage. You understand the sovereignty of God, that God owns everything. God is the law. God is everything. What was the response from Paul? He considered everything, nothing. So he can gain Christ. 
That is where the Lord would have you and me to go. Then understand, no matter what comes in your life, rejoice. Then you can say with Job, even though he slay, yet I will trust him. Man, in general, will glory either in himself or in God. Man will live to serve and please himself, or he will seek to serve and please the Lord. No one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. Irreverence gives birth to disobedience. Irreverence gives birth to disobedience. Who comes to my mind? Pharaoh. Pharaoh. The Lord has revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. You remember the story, Exodus chapter 3. And the Lord said, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt and bring my people. And Moses had all excuses in the world. And the Lord has to use a hammer to bring him on his knees. And then now Moses is ready to go. And Moses said, Lord, I cannot speak, okay? Then Aaron is your brother. He's going to be a spokesman. Well, that is the background in Exodus chapter 4. When you come to chapter 5, Aaron and Moses stood before Pharaoh. And Moses said, thus says the Lord, let my people go. The Lord says, let my people go so they can serve me. What was the response from Pharaoh? Who is that God that I should listen to him? Who is that God I should listen to him? Irreverence resulted disobedience. And you know how heavy price he paid later on? Irreverence leads disobedience. Disobedience. Who is this Lord that I should obey? To Pharaoh, the God of the Hebrews was merely a God, a God. One among many, a powerless entity who needed not to be feared or served. But God of the Bible is a holy God. God of the Bible is holy God. It was a grave mistake later on. He bitterly realized Pharaoh's defiant spirit was the fruit of his irreverence. And the irreverence gave birth to disobedience. And the disobedient has a heavy price. Heavy price. Remember. The Holy Scriptures are revealing, are the revelation from Most High God, communicating to us God's mind and God's will. God's word reveals God's mind and God's will for me and for you. If we don't take time, how would we know His mind? How would we know his will? 
if a young man is dating, how would he know what his fiance needs and what his fiance is like unless he spends some more time? Our God. You know, my friends, if you are going to spend eternity with him, is it not that you should practice now? Otherwise, you will be miserable in eternity. You will be miserable. If you don't take time, I believe believers ought to give tithe of their hours, 24 hours. 24 hours, try the 2 hours and 40 seconds, 40 minutes. God deserves that 2 hours and 40 minutes. People say, we are too busy. Well, then probably heaven will be out of place for you. That's why the hymn writer says, take time to be holy. Take time to be holy. If God is a sovereign God, if he's all-knowing, all-seeing, all-caring, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, he does what he pleases, how he pleases, when he pleases, whom he pleases, then my response to God is fear, holy reverence, and then obedience. You know, I don't have to understand in order to obey. I don't have to understand that I should do. Then I should obey. No. You obey, then you understand. You know, people say, I, unless I see, I will not go to believe. Oh, first you believe, then you will see. That is the scripture's reversal order. How many people say, first I want to see the reality of God, then I will believe him. Oh, you believe first, then you see the reality of God. You know, that was a lesson you learned from Luke's gospel chapter 16. You remember the, the, the rich man and the Lazarus story? Oh, poor rich man had a grand funeral. And the mayors and the senators and all came and spoke about him. But poor man was in hell. You know the story, right? And then he appealed to Father Abraham, would you please do one favor for me? Would you please send someone to tell my brother? What did Father Abraham say? They have all the prophets and everything. If they cannot believe the objective truth, how can you expect that they believe subjective reality? If they don't see the truth of God, how are they going to believe experience? That is not the way in the Bible it works, friends. First you believe, then you see. First you believe, then you see. To recognize that the Bible is God's word. It is his precepts. The precepts of the almighty God will lead us to see what fearful things is to dispense or ignore them. To recognize that God, to recognize that the Bible is God's word and his precepts the precepts of the Almighty 
will lead us to see what fearful thing to dispense and ignore them. You know, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31 says, it is fearful to fall in the hands of God. It's fearful. We don't play with God. Don't toy with God. If God is God, let him be God. Don't put him in box and make him servant and demand what you would like him to do rather than put yourself in the box and say, Lord, have thine own way, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Once the sovereignty of the author of the word is apprehended, it will no longer a matter of picking or choosing from God's precepts or selecting those which meet our own approval rather than complete surrender to him. Complete surrender to him. God's word is not the smorgasbord. God's word is not small guys board. Or choose or pick. God's word is God's word. And let him be God's word. All right. Let's take the concerned prayer. Any prayer request before we pray?